Before I um, launch into what I have a sense to share tonight, um, I just want to affirm a vision of the kingdom um, that includes more than one thing. So Tim's explicitly asked me to come and talk about the link between being the ecclesia and um, doing acts of justice on the world. Um, I just want to affirm before I embark on that, that uh, our personal transformation, that, that the changing of our character and behaviours to more fully reflect the character and behaviours of Jesus is absolutely a core part of what it means to be alive in the kingdom of heaven. Um, I want to affirm that acts of creativity, um, bringing things into being that somehow waken people up to awe and wonder and pain and lament, all of that is absolutely part of what it means to be alive in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the praying of prayers that could not possibly be answered unless there was a God in heaven for whom the impossible is possible. Uh, the knowing of things that couldn't possibly be known through any human means and being able to speak from that well words of encouragement to others. I absolutely affirm that as a core part of what it means to be alive in the kingdom of heaven. Being welcoming people, people who include, who bring to the table, who cheer on, who encourage, who stand in solidarity, I want to absolutely say that's a core part of what it means to be alive in the kingdom of heaven. Um, in the midst of all that, uh, I, I want to affirm my belief that being compassionate towards people, especially the poor, and towards creation is a core part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, and as I uh, talk particularly into that bit tonight, what it means to be a compassionate, loving people, practically serving others around us, especially the poor and the creation itself, I don't want anybody to think that my value on the other things, the prophetic, the miraculous, the creative, the trans personal, personally transformative, I don't want anyone to think that my value on those things has dropped. <laughs> um, I want to I want to affirm all of that as part of the beauty of what it means to be alive in Christ and a participant in, in the new creation. Um, but Tim asked me to come and speak into this slowly expanding thought bubble that we have going on uh, around being the ecclesia and particularly to try and talk a little bit about the place of justice in that. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and I, I said, oh, we're, we're kind of doing a series. We don't, as a church, we don't really do series. We just try and get a sense of what it is that the Lord wants us to be sitting in. And then we kind of sit in that and talk about it until it seems like the Lord doesn't want us to be sitting in that or talking about it anymore. And then eventually we move on to whatever we, seems to be the next thing. Um, that's as close as I-61 gets to doing a series. So this is, um, <laughs> this is the seriesless series on being the ecclesia that Tim and Vaughan started. And I've got the privilege of continuing a little bit tonight. Uh, can I pray? Yes. If you're a prayer, would you pray with me? <laughs> oh man, you guys should be prayers if you're not. <laughs> oh, what a, what a stunning privilege it is, Father, to be alive uh, with full access to you in Christ. This thing we call prayer that we approach so casually couldn't have been imagined by generations that came before us in the earliest generations of a Hebrew faith. So we just say thank you for the ease of relationship with you in Christ. We confess that sometimes we're in a hurry, but we declare that tonight we're not. So help me and help us not to race ahead of you nor lag behind. 
but to find ourselves in the minute with the words that you wish to have us sitting in tonight. We love you, we trust you, we point our lives towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Tim first pushed the boat out on this um, ecclesia thing, where he pushed it out from, this is a little bit of a recap from last week. Can we get the slides up? That would be super helpful. Um, where he pushed us out from was Matthew uh, chapter 16, uh, where uh, Jesus says to the man who's about to become called Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, my Messiahship, to you, uh, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, um, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, that's where we launched from. And what we were looking at over the last few weeks is that this word that we see in our English translations as the word church, it's a word that, of course, like means an assembly of people, but the word in the original language is this word ecclesia. Uh, Jesus looked around. He could have picked any number of words. We talked about this last week. He could have picked the word synagogue, uh, which is a, a gathering of people uh, to pray and to read scripture and to talk about scripture. That was a thing he could have said on my synagogue. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to build that and the gates of Hades won't prevail against that. Or he um, could have said uh, on my panagurus, that is my, my large gathering, my crowd, my festival, uh, I'm going to um, make sure that the gates of Hades don't prevail. He could have picked those kind of words for the assembly of people that he was going to launch out after him to continue heaven's infusion of earth, uh, but the word he chooses is this word, ecclesia. You guys have sat in this now for a few weeks. It, it, it's, it's a normal political social word. Jesus picks up this word about an assembly of people who have been called out of their homes into the public square to engage with public issues for the public good. And he says, that's my vision of who you guys are going to be. And against that kind of a thing, the gates of Hades won't prevail. And what that kind of thing looses on earth will be loosed in heaven and what that kind of thing binds on earth will be bound in heaven and this is gonna be fun. <laughs> Hard at times, let's be honest, but man, this is what creation's groaning for. Yeah, we know that from Romans. Creation is groaning for the revealing of the children of God, the ecclesia to finally stand up and be the assembly that moves into the public square for the public good. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, so I was sitting in the car with Lucy, my um, beautiful 17-year-old daughter, on the way home uh, from church last Sunday, and uh, we were talking about how fascinating I'd been. That was my take on the conversation. And um, I was, you know, I, how, how, cl how clever am I to work out this ecclesia thing? And Lucy goes, yeah, yeah, I kind of studied ancient history at school, Dad. And so I learned all about Sparta and how Sparta had an ecclesia. Wow. Yeah, that noise. So uh, had I just gone to a history of Greece, I could have saved myself a lot of rummaging around uh, in Strong's Hebrew and Greek uh, lexicon because uh, it turns out that if you were a Spartan, as well as having two kings, that's what I read, they had two kings um, and then they had a, a ruling body of elders and then they had an ecclesia. And within Spartan culture, what would happen would be sometimes the king, or one of the two kings, would refer an issue, a problem, a matter, a social thing to the ecclesia, or sometimes the people of Sparta would refer to the ecclesia, an issue, a problem, a thing, uh, and the ecclesia would vote on it. 
They'd talk, they'd think, they'd swap ideas, they'd vote, they'd decide, and something would be catalyzed that would actually change society and culture because the ecclesia had acted like the ecclesia. Come on. Um, an assembly of citizens called out into the public square to decide things for the public good that catalyse actual real changes in society and culture. It turns out as well that uh, Ecclesia was a 2008 album by the um, Christian metalcore band For Today. Uh, totally go home and stream that if you want to. Slightly less relevant for the purposes of today's talk, but if you do research on the internet, it's hard not to get distracted. Uh, what is important, though, is this idea about the Ecclesia being an assembly of people called into the public to ruminate, to swap ideas, to actually decide and catalyse things that change society. If we read that word in this message from Jesus, all of a sudden the idea of a group of people who are going to loose things on earth and have them loosed in heaven, who are going to bind things on earth and have them bound in heaven well that for me anyway that springs alive parliaments do that all the time you know that don't you they say certain things are permitted certain things aren't permitted they bring about change by binding and loosing this has been a lot of fun for me to to, to rummage around in this stuff um, so uh, for us we need to shift the focus away I believe from how we get together, what we do when we get together, where we get together, even what day we get together on, move the focus away from that as the church and put it in its proper location, which is the effect that we're having on society and culture around us as we step into our vocation, as people who use whatever is in our hands whatever time, whatever skills, whatever passions, whatever influence, whatever finances, who use the things that are in our hands to do whatever we can to make the culture of heaven displace the culture of hell. And I find that challenging because as I look back on the last couple of hundred years of church history, I'm not sure that's where our focus has been. Uh, and so us, if we say, yeah, we're totally up for that, we have no roadmap. <laughs> We've got the Gospels and Acts and not a heap else. But it's a time for a reimagining in the mind of the church how it could be the ecclesia of God against whom even the gates of Hades cannot stand. Um, so um, for me, as I've continued to think about this, I uh, started to wonder um, how risky it would be if we, instead of being an ecclesia church, just let ourselves drift to being a Sunagoge church. <laughs> all, all we're doing is um, gathering together in private-ish gatherings to pray and read scripture and talk about it. That's all we do. I think a Sunagoge church just left entirely to its own devices and cut free from the ecclesia impulse uh, would just end up being a bunch of people who sat around thinking mostly about me, or if not about me, then just about a small, a small numerical number of us. 
uh, would end up being a group of people who had a primary focus just on their small private devotional acts and the growth of their little private gatherings. I, I have a hunch that the gates of Hades would do fine against a church that was just a soon-ago gay church. I'm worried about it, particularly because Jesus, when he rounds on some of the most privately religious people of his day, he says to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors, pretenders. Um, for you cross sea and land to make a single convert, and you make the new convert twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I worry that a, a church that's purely a Sunagoge church cut adrift from its vision, its calling to be the ecclesia, um, might actually not only leave the gates of Hades fine, but actually reinforce them. Because what these kinds of churches can do is build up rules about who's in, who's out, who's orthodox and who's a heretic, uh, who's reconciled and who's not yet reconciled. And the last thing the world needs is more division. A, a Sunagoge church misses heaven's vision of one united humanity brought together in Christ under the love of our universal Father. That's, that's the displacing ecclesia force that we, we run the risk of missing if we let ourselves become a purely Sunagoge church. Um, one writer reflecting on why the church lives and moves and has its being says this, he says, God's goal for creation and the central call of the church is to be a community that receives, lives in and recklessly shares the unsurpassable love of the triune God. Above all else, this love is that for which the church is called to be known. If people are going to hate us for anything, I want them to hate us for how much love we disperse on the face of planet Earth. Not the rules that we've set up about who's in, who's out, who's orthodox, who's a heretic, who's reconciled or unreconciled. If we're going to be despised, it should be despised because of the recklessness, the lavishness and the foolishness of our love, which is our Father's love. That's never going to pop up in a purely Sunagoga church. It's, it's just not. And I start to wonder um, if then we got along a bit further from that and we go to at least being a Panagouris church, the big festival, the gathering, the games. Uh, well, at least now we would be public. You, you, don't, you don't gather for a festival or, or a, an Olympic Games-style uh, event without gathering a crowd. We're now out in public. But to be honest, um, a, a purely Panagouris church would be public but still event-based in what it brought into being. It had put on a heck of a spectacle for the hours or, or even maybe even days that it was happening for. And then it would say, well, we'll reconvene like in a week or, or six months or next year when conference is on again. A Panagouris church, um, it would be great at creating ecstatic moments. Moments where we feel the presence of the divine drawn together in human community. 
A Panagurus church, though, would lead potentially, if it didn't know its ecclesia end destination, with, the, with Jesus saying to it what the Old Testament prophet said to the Old Testament church, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them, and the offerings of well-being of your fatted calf I won't look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. Why, why won't you listen, Lord? What's, what's the missing ingredient? What do you want instead? And so Amos says, but let justice roll down like waters and let righteousness roll down like an ever-flowing stream. A Panagurus event-based, we'll see you again next week, next month, next year, church, will never have a constant running stream of justice and righteousness going through 365 and every fourth year, 366 days of the year, bringing about societal change. It'll get right to the cusp of it and then the run sheet will say it's time. As run sheets... Always do. Um, Panagurus Church would just embolden this false division of the world into the sacred and the secular, the, the sacred one hour and the secular rest of the week, uh, into clergy and laity, those who've been anointed to go to the front of the room and the everybody else who doesn't get a go. The presence of God in certain moments and certain places and the false impression of the absence of God in all the other moments and places. Um, a Panagurus church would miss heaven's vision of a world already filled now with the glory of God. You, you remember that? The whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord, says Isaiah, 600 years before the outpouring of Holy Spirit. <laughs> if that was true then, then man, we're, we're up to our ears in the presence of God in every moment and in every place. A Panagurus church would never get to a vision of the kingdom of heaven becoming so fully present on earth that we might one day cry out, the kingdom of the world has actually really become the kingdom of our Lord, which is the cry of Revelation 11. And so a Panagurus church would not put its sleeves up and get about the hard work of actually living into its own prayer that heaven would come on earth. That's what an ecclesia would do. An ecclesia church would not have sacred and secular, in, out, orthodox, heretic, reconciled, unreconciled, presence and absence of God. An ecclesia church would acknowledge the strange mix of all things present at the same time in every moment and would commit itself to making seen the most beautiful things that were present all along. 
And so when Jesus tries to just randomly pull out any old scripture and say, I'm about to start my ministry, I want to read something that's going to help you understand it. He pulls out the old scroll from Isaiah. And in Luke 4, we read read that he reads to the assembly of people these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me for what? to pray and read scripture and give long talks, to to gather in big festivals and burn incense and, and sing corporate songs. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. <laughs> That's what an Ecclesia church does. An Ecclesia church has good news for the poor. It has sight for the blind. It has release for the captives. And it has favour for the oppressed. And it commits itself to the hard, ongoing, imaginative, sacrificial task of actually swapping blindness for sight. Poorness for good news. Captivity for release and oppression for favour. Seven days a week. 52 weeks a year until Christ returns. How how is this amazing thing that you keep talking about actually going to pull this off? Uh, By a mixture of proclamation and participation. Too often as church, particularly Sunagogay Church and Panaguras Church, we think it's all going to magically happen by just proclaiming it. No one will ever know the source of their good news, their sight, their release and their favour unless we proclaim it. (laughs) But very few people are going to receive their sight and their good news and their release and their favour unless someone somewhere does some practical thing to participate in the intention of heaven to re-bless the earth. So we just... We look in our hands and we see what we have and we, we throw it in the participatory mix of grace and we, we trust that the Spirit of God is going to be brooding over it all. <laughs> we, um, we don't just wait for half a dozen mega Christians to come and get the job done whilst we give to their ministries. Praise God for... Wilberforce, who displaces slavery, for Bonhoeffer, who opposes Nazism, for Martin Luther King Jr., who disrupts, uh, sla- uh, who disrupts civil um, instability, segregation of black and white in America. Uh, praise God for Bishop Desmond Tutu, who comes in and not only challenges apartheid, but then does the hard work of bringing about truth and reconciliation in post-apartheid South Africa. Praise God for Chris Kane and her husband and for Steve Chalk and Stop the Traffic and all those organisations fueled by the spirit of Jesus, giving imagination to people who look from the outside like mega-Christians. Praise God for all of them. But what about all the other billions of people who aren't touched by their work? Who's coming for them? 
And the answer is, it's not six mega Christians. It's a million Christians every day, normal people filled with the same anointing that was on Jesus that we read in Luke 4 who say, yeah, I'm here. I know you and I see you and silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. People who actually look at the way they earn their money and say, is there anything at all about how I earn my wealth that actually causes someone else to be poor or oppressed or captive? And if there is, they just, they tweak how they earn their money. So there's a bit more good news and release and favour flowing back upstream. They, they look seriously at how they spend their money. Am I consuming things in a way that actually is bad for creation, bad for those people downstream from me in time? And if they're convicted about that, they actually let the Spirit of God recalibrate their patterns of consumption. Every now and then, they actually, they actually print their bank account and look at what they give to. And they see what they're resourcing through their giving and they try and bring that into line with the kinds of things that will help people who are blind to a vision of their life see a better vision for their life. They're, um, they're people who just... They actually examine seriously, at least from time to time, just the instinctive way they go about doing relationship. <laughs> The way that they think and speak and act towards their family and their friends and their co-workers and their clients and their customers and their neighbours and anybody else who they have any engagement with on our global village. And if they see anything in the way that they instinctively think and speak and act towards other people that causes other people to be poor, to be blind, to be captive or to be oppressed... They just start changing in little ways who they are to be more generous, to be more affirming, to be more merciful <laughs> until the poor start to receive some good news. The blind start to see some stuff. The oppressed start to, oh man, it's a bit more wriggle room here now. <laughs> and the captives just head for the door. How? How? <laughs> It's people who look at their skills, their passions, their vocations, their industries, the way that their suburban society functions and seriously ask questions about why are they poor? What could I do that might bring about the opposite of that? It's not very sexy. It's a hard pitch to sell at a conference where everyone's riding high on emotions because you'll get about two weeks into this on a, on a generous bundle of emotions and then you'll run out of steam. And that's why the scriptures um, do talk about Jesus enduring what he endures for the sake of the joy set before him. Please, yes, amen. But it also just talks about him setting his face towards Jerusalem and just plowing on and doing the, th the hard things that actually need to be done to bring about more of the presence of heaven so that the gates of Hades don't prevail. But instead they swing open and finally disgorge the things that they've been holding until that time. That's the life you're invited into. 
we, we, me and my team, we run a little community legal centre that help people for free or for prophetically low cost um, who are dealing with domestic violence and family breakdown. And um, we had a lady come and see us sometime, it doesn't matter when. Um, and the first time I sat with her, she told me a story, the details of which you don't need to know, but she'd spent 15 years in just a corrosive relationship, a thing that just ate away at her. Um, and the first hour I sat with her, she, she literally cried for the whole hour. There, there were short moments where she stopped and, and then she'd start again. And, um, and the second time I talked to her, I was on the phone this time, 35 minutes, she, she cried and then we finished the conversation. Um, and as is often the way with people who've endured these kind of corrosive relationships, she was super isolated. There was no one in the community who could be a cheer squad voice, a wise voice, counsel, companionship, solidarity as she tried to bring about change in what she'd experienced. And, and so as she comes in to see me, we run our clinics in partnership with local churches, and so she sits in the waiting room uh, with a woman, Vanessa, who's just like the nanny you always wish you had, uh, who sits there and makes her cups of tea and, and tells her about nights they have where you can come and get a massage and your nails done and meet other people and um, be, be around people who want good for you. And Client's got some kids and she says, here's, here's some things you can bring the kids along to. If your kids, if your kids like playing games and being with other kids, then we do something in the holidays and we do something uh, on um, Sunday mornings that they, they might love that. And she's just like opening up the kingdom of heaven to this person. And we kept working and we did a bunch of court documents and we had um, the client come over to sign them. And the day she came over to sign them, I knew she was going to be intense because um, the process of moving from being um, a captive to being released is a hard one. And the moment where you actually approach the door that's been locked until now just ratchets your emotions up. And um, as she was about to sign off on the court documents, uh, I could see her beginning to really think all this through. And as soon as she signed it, uh, she said to me, he's going to be so angry talking about her ex-partner. Um, and then she just started hyperventilating. Um, and because I had to get her papers filed as quickly as was humanly possible. I couldn't sit with her in that moment and be present with her. So I just went into the church office next door and I said, I've got a really distressed lady out here who could really do with having someone sitting next to her at the moment. Uh, is there anyone who, who could come and just do that? And a um, beautiful woman called Jo, who just, she's a graphic designer and she types stuff. She gets up from where she's doing her work. She walks in next door. As soon as she walks in the door and sees my client crying, she opens her arms, she walks over and she embraces this woman in a way that I could never have. And she gives me the ability to go off and do my bit of the story while she stays and does hers. And it turns out um, one of the other pastors came in and, and Joe and Kathy sat with this lady for a while and just talked about life and reality and hope and a whole bunch of things and you're a Baptist pastor and you're doing that, it's not unusual for you to say at some point, would it be okay if I prayed for you? It's kind of what you do. <laughs> and um, so they pray with her before she leaves. And um, later on, uh, coming into Christmas, they remember her and they give me a hamper of food and toys and things like that for me to take to drop off at her house. Uh, and on the 19th of December, um, just leading into Christmas, my client writes to me an email that says this. She says, please send... My warmest thank you to Joe and Kathy. Their kind and generous gifts and the fact that they had thought of me and my family made me feel so happy and grateful. 
please tell them that I did follow their advice and accepted the invitation to Life Care Women event and also went uh, to the River Kids Christmas celebration. Uh, This might be one of the most difficult times for me, but it's also brought so many beautiful, warm, genuine and kind-hearted people into my life who make me feel hope. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Come and proclaim good news to the poor. Release to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. To usher in the year of the Lord's favour to those who've spent too long being oppressed. Uh, who, who the heck is in that story being, a, being an ecclesia? Man, it's the hugger. It's the prayer. It's the hamper giver. It's the sitting in a waiting room, giving up a day of your life simply to be five minutes worth of welcome and kindness and love to a person who's going through a season you wouldn't want to be going through yourself. It's my team. It's everyone, the nameless ones, the faceless ones, the ones who are invisible and not mentioned in my story, through whom God is acting in the public square for the public good, bringing about in tiny increments. The mega Christians can do their thing, but man, God is God of the tiny as well. It's not tiny for her, and it's not tiny for the people that you do it for. Um, Leif Hetland, who's pretty hilarious, and you shouldn't probably spend time with him unless you appreciate men sitting on your lap and kissing you, um, writes this. He says, the world so often comes uh, to drink from our wells, and instead of receiving the bubbling fountain of fresh living water that Jesus offers, they instead receive the stale and stagnant liquid of our own lukewarm theology. The world isn't looking for a doctrine, they're looking for love. The love of our Father manifested in human form. What the heck's that? The love of our Father manifested in human form? You want to know how to find out what that looks like? Drop into Woolworths on the way out and buy a mirror. It'll be looking right back at you. Because it's you and it's me and it's us. The ecclesia. When we love, we literally open up blind souls and reveal the living God to them. I just told you a story about that. So I'm trusting that what he says is true. Uh, so I asked you last week the question, what grips you or what will grip you? And I want to ask that question, particularly on the off chance that there's a Wilberforce or a Tutu um, or, or a, um, a Chris Kane or a Steve Chalk here in the room who's going to do the huge emblematic thing to shift something in our society and in our, our culture um, to displace hell with heaven. Um, but tonight I want to ask you a slightly different question. It's the question, what's in your hands? If you don't have seven days a week in your diary, then don't beat yourself up over how little space there is in your diaries. Have a serious think about whether that's how your diary should function. But just look at the time you do have and say, what can I do with that that might be good news for the poor? Just look at the skills that you have. And if you're not like an an amazing motivator of people or a fabulous entrepreneurial innovator, just look at the things that you are good at. And just say, just just given the things that I'm actually really good at, these things that are really in my hands, what could I do that would actually be recovery of sight to the blind?
Look around at the people who are in your world and ask genuine questions about who's oppressed, who's captive, and who could I be for them that might stand with them and bring about small but important changes as the kingdom of heaven infuses their life and brings change. Um, would you stand? I feel like praying for you guys because you're a lot of fun and you've listened to me for a while. <laughs> Just where you are, just, um, I've asked you the question, what's in your hands? So just, just put your hands in front of you. Spirit of God, would you reveal to every one of us in this room something we hold in our hands? And spark creativity in our mind and excitement in our heart about what it would look like to use that thing as our ecclesia gift. If you see something in your hands, just call it out now as uh, an act of faith to the Lord that he's actually empowering that particular thing to be useful in his kingdom. For me, weirdly, one of them is soccer coaching. (laughs) What do you got in your hands, church? What skill, how many minutes, which person, what thing? Spirit of God, show us what's in our hands. Jeff, I'm going to announce over you that you've got in your hands beekeeping, which is both an act of compassion for creation and a way of connecting you with people who might not otherwise meet the ecclesia and have the presence of heaven in their life. And Ryan, I'm going to announce over you that you have in your hands the ability to see problems and work through them and solve them in ways that don't require you being seen along the way, but nonetheless solve them. And Sarah, you got creativity, and um, Meg, you got patience and perseverance and a willingness to to back a hunch. <laughs> Katie Moulton, um, um, I don't know how you can hold what's in your hands. <laughs> um, you literally have recovery in your hands, uh, recovery for communities. And some of you have five minutes, and some of you have parenting, and some of you have a short fence between you and your next door neighbour. (laughs) And some of you have the kind of hope that even terrible years hasn't been able to break. You guys got a bunch of stuff in your hands. (laughs) Uh, So Jesus, this week, help us to use what we have in our hands. Uh, to step out of our homes, carrying whatever we have, big, small, fancy, 
humble. <laughs> Just give us the courage to be the ecclesia, to move beyond this beautiful moment of Sunagoge, uh, to not think that the best thing we could hope for that would be bigger than this would be Panagurus but to actually know you have commissioned and empowered and resourced this group of people to take its part in the ecclesia in Sydney and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.